This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Elk Shape Podcast, episode 66 with me, Dan, the fitness man. Why do I tell you the number? I don't know. Just so you can catalog it or help find the podcast you want to check out today is none other than my dad, Hot Rod. 62-year-old, broken-down elk hunter slash bear hunter. We're recording out of our cabin, and we're talking about bears. It's an appropriate time of year. Today, this podcast is dropping on opening day of spring bear in Idaho. I'm not sure about Montana, and I'm not sure about Wyoming, but those are your three best states to hunt elk in the spring. Unless you can get a tag drawn in Washington or Oregon, we're going to go through several questions that were emailed in on bear hunting. Pretty cool episode. And between my dad and I, we've had a lot of bear experience. So we talk a lot about spot and stock, baiting, glassing bears, and their ecology, their biology. Uh, I love bear hunting. And then we're going to also talk a little bit about wolf hunting based on the experience I had uh, a couple weeks ago with my daughter in that wolf encounter. We're going to talk about predation and uh, just talk about management and bears and wolves and all that kind of stuff. It's going to be pretty exciting. So don't have a lot to drop here before the roll. Just uh, get signed up for Elk Shape Camp. My goodness, uh, a little surprised that the registration wasn't sold out in a day. We have 40 spots that we opened up. And at the time of this recording, I think there's only maybe eight or nine folks registered. Surprisingly, uh, the price is 605 That's because that's what I need to charge to pay for all the subject matter experts to travel here, their time, their all their expenses. We're shutting down my gym for two full days. Uh, we're shutting down the archery shop and a private archery range course. We're shutting all that down just for these attendees. We're bringing in several subject matter experts, finance, train to hunt founder Kenton, Dirk Durham, the Bugler, Exo Mountain Gear. Uh, we have a lot to offer at this camp. It should be life-changing and help you launch pad your pathway towards becoming a better public land elk hunter, a better human being. And I'm really excited about the camp. So if you haven't heard about it, get registered. You can check out the link on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, my website, elkshape.com. Uh, if you want to look on Eventbrite, that's where you'll find it. That's eventbrite.com. And get going because I want to change lives. I want to make people better. That is my passion. And today's sponsors are none other than delayed gratification, discipline, hard work, and being accountable for your actions. We also have some promo codes you can check out for Siberian Coolers, FNX Supplements, and the Elk Hunting University, or as Corey Jacobson likes to say, the University of Elk Hunting. Check it out, guys. Thanks for listening. If you're new to the podcast, we're all about the elk hunting learning curve and squashing it. We're all about using elk hunting as one big excuse to make ourselves more disciplined and better at life. We talk about everything from public land elk hunting tactics, training, nutrition, discipline, finances, 
all the fitness, everything you could ever need. We try to be the best, relatable, no fluff, no BS podcast. Shoot you straight. Thanks for listening. I appreciate your time. Elk Shape Podcast with me, Dan the Fitness Man in Idaho, sitting down with my old man. Rod, what's going on? Not much. Just uh, sitting up here. A little early spring weather going on. A lot of melting. A lot of uh, cloudy skies. But looking forward to bear season coming on here pretty quick. How old are you, Dad? 62 years old. So he just got his hip replaced um, two weeks ago? Three weeks ago. Three weeks ago, sitting on his ass on the sidelines watching me have all the fun. But uh, you're a big part of the bear baiting program that we have up here. So today's podcast is going to be all about bear hunting and then a little bit of Q&A. We'll probably talk a little bit about other predators as well. I had quite a few questions sent to me on spring bear i figured this would be appropriate time to drop this so let's get going chime in dad with all your bear hunting background on any of these questions just for those listening just keep in mind that almost all our bear hunting has been done in idaho specifically north idaho i have bear hunted in washington the state with the highest bear densities out of the lower 48 uh, with l- the worst seasons ever. They don't even have an over-the-counter spring because it's Washington. I've bear hunted in California. I've seen bears while hunting in Colorado quite a bit. I've seen bears in New Mexico with you on elk hunts. We've seen a lot of bears in our day. Killed a lot of bears, especially between the two of us. So let's hammer some of these questions. So guy wants to know, how do you hunt when there is still snow on the ground is that too early well i don't think it's too early um last year we had the privilege of uh hosting um my niece's husband from the great state of georgia uh jeremy came up and hunted with me last year and he asked me what dates to come up and i completely emphasized that he needs to come the first of June after the snow is gone and the bears are a lot more active but due to commitments with his church he could only come the very first part of the season which is April 15th yeah he was here uh, basically April 15th man I was surprised Uh, I took him out and we tried to get up into the backcountry probably 15, 20 different ways. Everything was blocked by snow, just completely blocked. Uh, So we stuck to some low-lying drainages, and basically within three days, we had spotted three bears. He shot at uh, two, killed one. So, no, I don't think it's too early, but again, the thing to think about is that was spot and stock. And we were looking on south-facing slopes uh, where the snow melts early and some green starting to pop out. And that's where we saw bears. So, uh, Yeah, so last year as well, the biggest bear that got killed was discovered in the snow. So you and I were out trying to set baits, and we had a couple places in mind, and we couldn't even get close to them. This was real early April, uh, might've been even opening weekend. We were setting baits and we happened to just go check this little finger. And I think, did you cut the bear tracks or did I? Yeah, they were just going right down the middle of the spur road, um, on the humped up snow, nice big track. Yeah. So we could easily identify based on the track, Mm -hmm. uh, that the width of the paw was, close to six inches and the rule of thumb is the width of the paw is going to be how tall the bear is so a five inch width five foot bear a six inch width six foot bear seven inch seven foot bear i don't know if that's true i've just heard that these were good sized tracks and so we had never put a bait down that low but the snow was so packed in that we decided to put a bait right right where those tracks were and I'll just fast forward. Your wife ended up killing one of the biggest bears we've ever killed that year, and I believe it was that that bear's tracks. And I think we just happened to find where he came out of his den, 
And, you know, they'll go back and forth to their den for a few days or weeks until it's time to go. And so if you find an area where they're coming out of their den, they're going to go back in and out quite a bit uh, until they get their feet under them. So I, I contribute being out early to that big bear getting killed. And that literally is, if she hadn't shot him in the head and shattered his skull, I'd love to have known what he taped out at. I think it's a 19-inch, 20-inch skull bear, which is kind of unheard of around here. Also, the thing is with bears, it's it, it's such a strange game because you can go deep into the backcountry and put out baits thinking you're only going to see monster bears where there's not roads, where there's not a lot of traffic, where there's not a lot of population. But actually, uh, where that bear was killed last year was really not very far from a state road uh, with tons of traffic going on it every day, uh, a lot of noise. Um, and that bear was in the steepest country you could ever imagine. I mean, literally living on the side of a mountain. It's canyon country, rocks. And, you know, the downfall of that area is if you don't shoot them in the head like Andrea did, if I would have shot that bear with a bow, I would have been trying to figure out how the hell to get him out of the very bottom of that canyon. So be prepared for that. Um, Bears do go a little ways, 20 to 40 yards if you double lung them with a bow. But, no, I don't think it's too early ever. I'm going to be out opening weekend uh, trying to get you a bear. And you have a hip you can't cover. So we're literally going to be going off truck driving and trying to spot a bear and getting out and getting a shot down the lower country. But, no, right now the snow is so deep here. We had uh, an incredible record breaking snow in February. So it went from a mild winter to this is one of the biggest snowpacks I've seen. I just was out yesterday, and I couldn't get to any of my spots to shed hunt. I don't have a snowmobile or a four-wheeler with tracks, and so I couldn't get anywhere. So I think that, you know, it is going to be one of those deals where you're going to have to wait till early June. I will say this. I have never really killed a bear over bait until the last week of May. That's like the earliest. However, I have killed a bear spring Right out uh, April 18th. So the opening day in Idaho is April 15th. I have killed a bear April 18th. That was one of those years where I could get back quite a ways on a four-wheeler. There wasn't a lot of snow. That's not going to be like that this year. So in that spot is just one of those spots I've found where there's a couple stretches of green grass patches that just grow first. And I don't know what it is about that particular grass, but the bear's Either they den nearby there or they just that's a destination location to get to the best grass first. But you can count on bears being there. And the longer you bear hunt, the more and more you're going to learn these little spots where you're going to find pockets of bears year after year. That's the best eating. They're going to be there because that's what they do. Bears know where the best eating is. If in response to the question, a really, really good technique for bear hunting that I would share from my limited experience is get out on your four-wheeler, your dirt bike, get out on your, with your hiking boots, and walk the, walk the logging roads, walk the trails, until you find some bear scat or bear tracks. So when you find that, that's a good place to start. That's a good place to look around and try to set a bait, because... I don't think bears, at least in my experience, they don't range a super long ways. They kind of stay around an area. Uh, I'm not sure. I think they they mark their territory by scratching their backs on trees. I've heard that. But generally speaking, uh, bears will run around, you know, a two or three square mile area. And they like to stay in that area. I would agree with that. I think there are some exceptions, obviously, and they're also the rut in the spring is going to send bears outside their territory. But my general rule of thumb is bears are coming out eating grass all the way through almost June slash grubbing, taking old trees, ripping the bark off, stumps, digging, rooting, and eating. They're an omnivore. They're going to be eating grass and bugs, grub worms, Anything like that, they're going to, you know, be real close to cover, real close to water. I think bears got to get water quite a bit more than we think, and they like cover. 
They like the cover of dense forests. They feel safe and protected. And their nose is their number one thing. Their smell is unreal. I think most people know that. Once June kind of goes by and the berries start hitting up here, huckleberries, I think the bears go to the same huckleberry patches year after year. I think they make a living almost all summer off huckleberries. Maybe some grubbing as well. Um, Don't forget elk calves, uh, deer fawns, moose calves. That's a great source of protein for them. And it's really low-hanging fruit. I've seen it with my own two eyes. I've killed a bear that was trying to wait on a cow to drop her calf. And she just was dumb enough to be trying to... She was literally trying to dump that calf right near my bear bait where I had a tree stand. I watched this bear go right past my bait and disappear into the bushes and hunker down and watch this calf. And she was circling, trying to squirt this kid out so to speak and he was there ready to i mean what is that cow gonna do when this bear comes down and just eats that calf nothing i have been hunting with buddies uh santino the year santino came up uh we i was going to drop him off at his bear bait and i dropped him off and then i came back out and there was a dead calf in the middle of the road and it had already been consumed i believe that was a bear So, yeah, I think bears eat those calves, and then they go to berries, and they still grub quite a bit. And then in the fall, you know, there's certain berries that there's choke cherries and elderberries, and they all come into season at different times, and there's a little balance there, and there's some dips as far as, you know, other animals dying. But bears are opportunists, and during the spring, you're going to find them eating grass primarily, which is really awesome because you can follow the green up the mountain as the snow melts the grass is really good right then and there that's what the bears want that fresh grass and so yeah you could be in the valley bottom and have five six inches of green grass why aren't the bears down there they don't want that they want the grass that's just starting to grow so you've got to follow the green up which is his next question the area he was looking at hunting is from three to seven thousand feet in elevation where would you find the highest density of bears in that area well, I would say at the snow line. What would you say? Yeah, I'd say 3,000 to 3,500 feet. Uh, it's a good place to start. Bears are a funny thing because I don't know how many years, uh, this time of year, we've gone out as a family, load everybody up. We've got our bait barrels. We've got our bait. And we go out and set up a bait, and you just are thinking in the back of your mind, no matter how hopeful you are, that it's probably going to be a week or two before a bear hits that bait. And so we would go set up three or four baits, leave. And then one of us would inevitably come up in the middle of the week and check the trail cameras and find out that bears were on there the, almost the same day or the next day. Yeah. And it's there's really no rhyme or reason to it. And then we've set up baits where... My gosh, we thought, oh, this is the best place ever. We are going to have bears hitting this thing. And then there's nothing until the middle of May. Yeah. So it's, it's very arbitrary. There's, there's not a lot of science uh, as far as choosing a location. I mean, I don't know. We've, we've tried so many things over here. I will say that for us, the number one thing we've learned from experience is you got to get your bait somewhere where the hound hunters can't get to it because uh, that will cause you a lot of misery if you've invested a lot of time in baiting and you're, you're being responsible and checking your bait often, and then you'll check your trail camera, and sure enough, here's three or four dogs sniffing your bait, and the hound hunters are there, and you basically are having to, you know, remove your bait and go find another spot. You know, I didn't know this when we first started. I know now that a lot of houndsmen will actually get bait permits and they'll run baits and they're not setting tree stands up on these baits or set. They're just right off the road where they can drive up. The dogs will know right away if a bear's there, they'll let the dogs loose. And that's where the chase begins. So if they have someone else baiting for them, that's just another spot where they can drive up let the dogs let you know see if it's time to go to work or not but all in all i think bear baiting is difficult because you have to have time economy you have to have the freedom 
to be able to bait about every three or four days continuously through the season. And, you know, if you look at my track record, I really haven't killed a lot of bears in the last five years over bait. It's been way more spot and stock. And it's because I'm targeting older, mature bears. And I think I can speak to what you were saying about bears kind of staying in the same two to three square miles. I am trying to kill a bear, and this year's no different. Same bear. And I have moved my bait maybe as the crow flies two, three hundred yards. But I've gotten him the last three years on every bait site in this drainage. He's the, he's the only boar coming in. And I can only get him to daylight about late May, June when one or two sows will go into heat and I have them on the on the bait, then he'll start making mistakes. But he still hasn't made a mistake. He has not showed up at my bait site while I'm there in the tree. And it's just, it's a thermal thing. It's a wind thing. He continues to circle and get my wind. I have not figured out a place still, after all the bears I've killed, I still can't figure out where the great set's going to be, where I can fool his nose. And uh, last year, I even took it to another level I set this bait in the drainage down on the lower third, and I only would go into the bait site at 6 o'clock or later when the thermals had switched because it was east-facing, so the sun set uh, pretty early in there, and the thermals kicked in early, and I always hiked in over a mile. I did, For whatever reason, I didn't want my four-wheeler, nothing, and I would sneak and slip into that stand, and I thought for sure I was going to get him. And I, I don't know, double-digit sits, and he never made a mistake. I don't know where he was getting my wind. He must have been coming from below. Um, but I'm going to try to – that's my point is these, these bigger bears can hold up in the same area. So maybe year four I get this bear. I think he'll be my biggest bear to date. Uh, we have some history, and hopefully we'll get him. But then you got Andrea, who shoots a giant bear last year, and she shoots him. She, you know what I mean, 110 yards off the bait, and she shot him at 430 at night. I never see big bears in the early afternoon. I always see them about last light. So uh, think you know everything about bears, and you don't. So his next question is about glassing. He wants to know, uh, is glassing the most effective style of bear hunting in the spring? And if so... Would you look for pockets to glass, longer periods of time, or huge areas you could maybe see a couple miles out? Let me answer that one because that's how I've killed the last few bears the last five years is I'm going to places where I don't have to drive around and glass, drive around and glass. I'm going to places where I'm setting up shop with two tripods, one with my 10 by 42 Vortex razors and the other with my Vortex spotter. And I'm basically just scanning huge tracts of land, three, four miles I can see in each direction. And I'm just going through a, a grid system and checking the edge of timber. I always check roads first, like spur roads, logging roads. Bears love using those for travel. And then when I'm really starting to pick country apart, then I really dive into along the edges. And they like shade, so once the sun is starting to set and you start getting those pockets of shade, that's where you need to be scanning those dark areas. And then knowing the lay of the land, two years ago when you and Alicia were waiting for me till 1 or 2 in the morning because I hadn't made it back, I killed that bear in a hellhole. And what I did was I was up on my vantage spot. I spotted that bear about three miles away, and it was a nice cinnamon bear, if you remember. Actually mm -hmm. blonde. It was a little bit dark dark paws but bright blonde bear stuck out like a sore thumb and, and that bear was going through roots going through stumps and I had about an hour left of daylight and I knew that if I could get to that bear I could kill it well if I hadn't known the road system I wouldn't have gotten anywhere close to that bear so from my vantage point I hauled ass on my dirt bike went about three miles got just across from the canyon from that bear dove down crossed the river of a canyon luckily found a downfall made it across and got up toward that bear with a little bit of light left and it was game over shot that bear spot and stock that was fun getting that bear out was not fun and that's why i didn't make it back till two in the morning but all that is to say is a vantage point is everything for me and the longer i've bear hunted up here the more i have these specific vantage points so i'm maximizing my time i know i'm gonna see bears it's a matter of seeing the right bear and if you've noticed, we see a lot of bears in that half of May and on in early June. And just because you can see bears, that's not, even, that's not even the hard part. For me, it's getting the bear to hold still long enough for me to get there. That's what I've experienced. Do you remember 
oh, there's a there's a drainage up there. Uh, I can't say the name on this podcast, but uh, where um, I don't think you were with me, but I spotted a giant bear, and he laid down on the edge of timber to yes. take a nap, and it took me two hours to get over there. And by the time I got over there, I started like recognizing my landmarks. I got my arrow knocked on. I'm getting ready to go, and and I look up, and he's already woke up from his nap, and he's just side hilling randomly and I got the win right but I couldn't keep up with him so I just lost that opportunity because it took so long to get there so you have to budget time to get to the bears when you're doing the vantage you know the vantage game is awesome seeing bears to me is not a problem I, I can see a couple bears a day and that's kind of like minimum like that's I'm expecting to see that but getting to the bears is the hardest part because they move a lot and just because you see a bear pop out of the timber and then he disappears. It doesn't mean he's gone. It means he probably laid down and just disappeared or went back in the timber, laid down. So it's always good to, like, get yourself in a position where you can get their last light when the wind's very predictable and be ready. That bear could pop out again. So, Yeah, and, you know, here's some real nuggets of information that I think would be helpful for the person that sent in that question. The super good bear that my wife shot last year, I mean, I got to tell you, uh, skinning that bear out with her, the number one thing that I was impressed with was that bear had very little fat, and he was just a bodybuilder. He was just nothing but 100% muscle. But I can't remember what year it was. I think it was maybe three years ago. On the opposite side of that drainage, uh, my wife was tooling along on her four-wheeler and spotted the that bear, we believe it was that bear, across the canyon at 500 yards and almost killed that bear at that time. But my point being is that if you are going to be a spot and stock hunter and you are going to use a bow, you have to do some serious calculations about how much time you have left in the day, how far is the distance really, Once you get over there and you uh, stick that animal, how long is it going to take you to get out of there and back to your transportation to get you out out of the woods? It's a very sobering game. And we've had a lot of friends. We won't name any names, but we've had a lot of friends that we've taken out bear hunting, and they shoot a bear at 300 yards across a canyon, And then you say, okay, go get it. And then three or four hours later, you see him pop up on the other side. And it's taken him three hours to get to where the bear was when they shot. No joke. And so there's a lot of calculation that goes into that spot and stock game. I would say this, a spot and stock game for bears across canyons and back in the backcountry... Uh, in the mountains is a young man's game. It's it's a lot of work, and you got to be prepared physically to go put a stock on a bear. And it's not always that hard. Sometimes it's really easy. Sometimes you just come around a corner and you look up a hill, and there'll be a bear up there feeding, and you're downwind, and you can just climb up the mountain and maybe get a shot. You know that happens too. But you you got to you got to really think. Uh, when you see a bear at a distance, how long is it going to take to get there? Also, when you're in country where there's been some logging and there's black stumps, a lot of those stumps are going to look like bears. And you're gonna, it's going to be slow going because you need to look at them all because bears love stumps. They love rooting and all that kind of stuff. Uh, fortunately, we have a lot of bear areas that we've been in where I know I've damn near thought about driving up there and taking orange spray paint and putting an X on all these bear stumps that look just like bears. But when you see a bear, it is usually a black bear. They are jet black, and they're always on the move. They're always doing something, rooting, sniffing, scratching, clawing, digging, eating, whatever it is. Bears move, so if the stump doesn't move, you know, it's probably not a bear. Now, the next question he wants to know is, do bears, like, what's their behavior as far as movement throughout the day? That's a great question, as well as 
spinoff is how does weather affect bears? I don't know. I mean, I think in the springtime, uh, early season bear hunting, uh, as usual, the bear is uh, led by his senses, his sense of smell. And I think his number one activity is to find green grass and get his digestive system working right. And the reason he needs to do that is because he's about to start feeding on elk calves, deer calves, moose calves, and he needs to prepare his digestive system to be able to process after that long winter sleep or nap or hibernation, whatever you want to call it. So I like to look for bears in open green areas, high alpine meadows, uh, and specifically logging roads where the green grass is starting to grow. And I don't really think the weather affects them that much. I mean... I don't either. I think they... I've seen uh, them feeding out in the rain. And yeah, I, I definitely... I agree. I feel like for our country, logging roads is key, especially a lot of them are gated. They seeded them uh, when they were done logging. Yep. And the evidence will be there. We have a one place I call the magic road. How did I discover this place and how many bears have been killed or shot at there? I can't even tell you, but it's another one of those places where it's just the grass is good early. I've killed spot and stock bears there. I've put three different people on bears there. Grass grows really good there really early and getting there's hard. It's a long ways. But my point of all this is that the bears will feed. You can catch a bear on there 9 o'clock in the morning, 1 o'clock in the afternoon, but they don't feed all day. They go in intervals. Uh, it's To me, in my experience, I see bears eat and sleep in intervals back and forth. It's just like a bear may be out for 20 minutes feeding straight, aggressively, just all business, and then, hey, I've had enough. I'm going to go lay down, and they just go jet back in the timber. How I found this road, though? is if you remember, it was one year I was just hiking this road with the wind in my face, and I think I counted over 100 piles of bear shit on this road. And that's when I was like, good Lord. Some, how many bears have been here? It couldn't be the same bear pooping that many times. And um, that's, that's kind of how we found all the places we are, uh, we've wanted to bait is um, if, if a bear, does the bear shit in the woods? Absolutely. And that's their... To me, that's a telltale sign of the size of the bear. You can really tell a lot about the bears, the size of their crap, and the density of crap if they're really targeting a specific area for food. So they leave behind the evidence. you got to find it. So that's what I would say is hunt all day. Uh, weather, I mean, if it's just pouring down rain, then pull out for a little bit. But when that rain breaks, be ready. And if you can weather the storm, so to speak, it, it, I love catching bears right after quick storms. So, and in the spring, it seems like the rain's on and off all day here. So it, it works. Use it to your advantage. Uh, so his next question is, is how do you fill dress and pack out a bear? Boy, we didn't know when we first started killing bears. We kind of just figured it out. So there's YouTube out there. I'm going to just answer this one. Watch a YouTube video. At least start there. Have an idea how to start at the paw and get get the hide off, and then you can use the hide as kind of a blanket to get the meat off the bear. I don't take every ounce of meat off bears. We don't have to take the meat off bears in Idaho legally, but we always take the hams. We always take the backstrap. I don't really mess too much with their shoulders or forearm meat or rib meat. I don't mess with any of that, but I like the lower limbs, and I like the backstrap, and I think bears are good, especially spring bears. I think they're one of the better meats. And obviously, trichinosis, you have to cook that meat at 165 degrees. Uh, be prepared for that. So, you have anything to add to packing out a bear? Uh, no. Uh, I will say this. I have learned the hard way that if you're going to hunt bears a lot of years, and if you're going to involve friends and family, you're going to find out in a real hurry that the average bear is not 250 pounds. The average bear is not 300 pounds. The average bear is really somewhere between 100 and 150 pounds. And really, they're pretty easy to manipulate on the ground uh, when you're skinning them out. Until you kill a big one. Till you kill a big one. When you get up in the 200-pound-plus range, 
then you got a whole different ball game on your hands. The other thing that's difficult about bears is a friend of mine uh, shot a beautiful brown bear in June, and it was warm out, and he brought it over here for us to skin. I helped him skin it, and I'll tell you, that bear was covered with fat. And when you get a bear that has a lot of fat on it, it's really hard to skin because it's hard to separate the fat from the skin membrane. I know what bear you're talking about. You know, I think you're mistaken. You guys, he shot that bear August 31st. Oh, that's right. It was a fall season uh, bear. Barely. It was, that bear was coming straight off of berry season. That bear yes, was fatter. Yes, that's than, right. You're correct. But I know what you're saying. Like a fat, like that's but what there the, was two inches, three inches of yeah. fat on the back of that bear. You don't bear. have to deal with that in the spring. There's not going to be hardly any fat on these bears in no, the spring. They're no. very easy to break down. I'm going to tell you this. I always take out the hide because you got to get it sealed. I always tube out the neck. Um, I always put a stick in its mouth before rigor mortis because you have to pull the milk tooth here in Idaho. And if the jaws clamped shut after rigor mortis, it's going to be really tough to get that out. Uh, I always get ticks on me from the bears. The bears always have lots of ticks. Yes. Uh, the hide can weigh 20, 30, 40 pounds, depending on the size of the bear and then your meat. But I can always get a bear out in one trip. Big bears that we've taken out whole, we've killed our two biggest bears. We've gotten trucks to or four-wheelers. Andrew's bear pretty much broke stuff on your four-wheeler. It was so heavy. Yeah. Uh, and then if you remember that big bear I killed a few years back, it took four of us to lift him into the back of that Tacoma. Yeah, and it took uh, the Polaris 850. That's a big four-wheeler. Took that front winch and started pulling that four-wheeler right down the mountain. And yeah. it took guys to lift, and uh, that was so Bears crazy. can get big. I don't know about weights and all that stuff, but they can get really big, those mature boars especially. But they're really hard to field judge, especially if you guys are going to do spot and stock. Make damn sure it's not a sow with cubs. Uh, you, you can't just, you know, especially if you're bringing a rifle, you see a bear, I think you can't jump on the trigger right away. Because those little cubs can be a little bit of a distance away from their mom. I think that's one of the beauties of baiting is that you can definitely identify your target. Um, but, you know, when you have a sow that doesn't have cubs, it's really hard to dif- di- uh, differentiate her from a, a boar from a long ways away. And that's what the beauty of, you know, watching a bear up via trail cam videos or images or in person. You can really see the behavior. You can really check out those shoulders. Look at the hip size, the hip width, uh, just the swagger or attitude of the bear. There's a lot of clues there, but bears are still hard to judge no matter who you are. They still are difficult for me. Um, let's get to some of his last questions here. He says, what is the best way to approach with a bow? I'm going to say for your starting out, probably baiting. If you're in an area where you can bait and you have three to six weeks to bait, that's what it's going to take. Uh, if you don't, spot and stock is a good game. I would get a great vantage point. Like my dad said earlier, I would try to do some calculations on do you have enough time to get there. And if you're not sure and it's going to be close, go for it. Nine times out of ten, you will make it there and you will be up till two in the morning. And those are the best stories. Um, rarely have I gone after a bear and not made it as far as trying to beat daylight. And I love the predictability of the wind or thermals in the evenings as it's getting dark. And you can be pretty aggressive when bears are out feeding. Online scouting, how in-depth would you get? What are you looking for in uncharted areas to get starting points? Man, that's a great question. I think that's a great place to start. I think you need to look at road systems first and foremost, just kind of the logistics of either are you going to bait or how are you going to get in and get out? Are you bringing in a four-wheeler? Is there gated roads? Can you get four-wheelers around gates legally? Is it hiking? Are you going to use a mountain bike or an e-bike? Where are the good places that you can glass from? You should be able to tell all that online with terrain feature, some sort of topography setting. I like topography maps. They can help funnel where the bears are going to cruise, especially if you're in an area that you can hunt bears in June, early June. Those bears are running ridges with their nose in the air looking for love, and they're covering ground. You can find funnels and places, and the bears are going to poop wherever they go. You can really start to pick apart where they're moving. Um, I like avalanche shoots. I like high alpine areas where the snow is melting, green grass secluded. It doesn't always have to be hard to get to, but it does help 
online scouting, Google earthing, uh, flyovers, those are all going to be very important parts that you can do. Um, and I think it's almost unlimited reps, especially because time is so finite in the actual mountains. But um, your best bet if you're limited on time is the middle of May to the first week in June. That is your best time to get a bear killed, spot and stalk or bait. Um, and I don't know, There's we've done bear podcasts before, but I feel like this is enough information to get a guy going. Anything else you want to add when it comes to bear hunting? Yeah, I think... Um... Number one, first and foremost, there are so many bears in the woods. I can't even emphasize that bears are everywhere in these western states. Uh, to give you a great example, a couple years ago, my wife and I drove over to Seattle, and we were coming back across the desert country of eastern central Washington literally sagebrush every direction you could see for miles and miles and we look to the left and here's a ginormous black bear just jogging through the sagebrush out in the middle of the desert country so my point being there's so many bears and you know it's not unusual for a sow to throw two cubs sometimes even three and believe it or not uh, we've had four and five cubs with a sow on baits before. So the population is ginormous, particularly in the state of Washington. And so I think the odds are really good for someone that wants to take the time to do some spot and stock or some baiting to be successful. And it's a great time of the year to get out in the woods. It's just really fun. The winter's been long and it's something to do and it gets you out in the woods and get Get your hunting senses all tuned up. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, I'll sell you on bear hunting real easy. Number one, you're going to be glassing for bears. You're out in the mountains. You're going to pick up some sheds. Yep. You're probably going to pick up some brown. Now, I always tell people when I'm looking for sheds, I find bears. When I'm looking for bears, I find sheds. Either way is fine with me. Number two, for me as a bow hunter, I am shooting broadheads. My bow is tuned with ready to go for broadheads, and it's the spring. I'm not waiting till August to be like, oh, I'm going to slap broadheads on. The stuff is tuned, ready to rock. I am working ridges, hiking. I'm getting in great mountain shape and hunting senses. Worried about the wind and the thermals and the terrain and how the wind is going to go through these mountains. All part of the game. I'm scouting for elk. I'm in areas. I'm seeing so many elk in the spring. I'm glassing up bulls, seeing where they're, how how far are they on their antler growth? The bigger the bull means that they dropped earlier, so they probably have more growth. I'm seeing, I'm watching as a biologist, I'm watching how the elk work their way up the mountain in the spring, just like bears. That's why you have such a conflict with calves and bears is because they're on the same program. They're eating the same green grass as it grows up the mountain, and that's where the bears take advantage of that. And so what you're doing as a bear hunter is you're helping keep predation down, and you're helping your ungulates and that calf survival rate. Uh, other than that, bears can smell. They have great senses. They're a predator. They're a big game animal. A turkey is a small game animal that doesn't smell. So that's why you should never tell me that turkey hunting is just like elk hunting or I'm going to get mad. I get mad every time I hear that. <laughs> Turkeys can't smell. Elk can. Game over. A turkey weighs 20 pounds. An elk weighs six to 900 pounds. Huge difference. So Spring bear hunting is awesome. I'm also, if you notice, Dad, that's a time where I'm out getting some of my trail cameras I left year-round, freshening mm -hmm. up the batteries, pulling cards. I'm throwing out new trail cameras. I'm getting ready for hunting season while I'm hunting. So spring bear is awesome. Well, and not to mention, I mean, gosh, I think some of my most memorable moments, and I know this is true for my wife and for you too, is you know, getting to that bait early in the morning or in the afternoon, checking that trail camera and and sitting in a tree stand and observing these the bear activity. Like, for example, I love it when cubs and a sow come in. I yeah. mean, if you're talking about a train wreck or you're talking about a three-ring circus and you've got a front row seat and you're having fun... Uh, observing bears in a tree stand is so entertaining. And we've all seen and heard so many things uh, 
you know, from a tree stand observing bears on a bait. It's just really fun. And you can make it as physically demanding and challenging as you want. Yeah. You can spot and stalk. And I'll tell you, it's right up there with a with spotting and stalking a bull elk. You know, when you see it when you see a a bear two miles away and you're figuring out how am I gonna get there, how am I gonna get the wind, how am I, you know, gonna make a kill shot, it's really exciting and fun and interesting. You know, it's nothing boring about it at all. Yeah, I'm I'm just not my fear of bears, I don't even know if I I don't have a healthy respect of fear of bears i love bears just like i love elk like i like eating them i like killing them i like watching them i like knowing that they are in check with balance but this predation thing has really been bugging me lately dad and i you know as we record this podcast right now it's going to be a couple weeks after i post this video that i shot yesterday but i think this video is going to turn some heads that i shot on my cell phone yesterday um I'm not sure where to post it because I, you know, I think a lot of hunters are going to be mad at me because I didn't bring a gun. I think a lot of non-hunters and maybe even anti-hunters are going to be like, who knows? They might even say that it's not a real wolf or something. I don't know what they'll say, but can you believe the footage I got yesterday? No, I can't believe the footage you got yesterday. And, you know, I have several rules for uh, myself. And I've tried to instill those in you and other family members. Uh, these woods around here, everything's fun and games till it gets deadly serious quick. Yesterday, you, en- you encountered a situation where uh, you could have been at risk. Child could have been at risk if there had been a pack. Um, and the behavior just was triggered those wolves the wrong way. It could have been a bad scenario. But for me, I don't ever go out into these woods without a firearm. I don't bear hunt or elk hunt without a forty-four strapped to my hip. Things are wild. Things are unpredictable. But what I will say is that what I've noticed from your podcast and other podcasts and the hunting community at large, particularly in the states where wolves have been reintroduced, that we have to change our methodology at hunters if we want to have ungulates to hunt. The methodology has to change. And we were just discussing it last night over dinner. I think... Let's, uh, uh, let's tell them what happened so they don't, we don't lose them. So and we're going to pick right up where Rod left off because it's really the point of this conversation more than bear hunting is. So yesterday, um, we're up at our cabin. Um, my, my dad's you know, got his hip surgery. He can't go out with me. Uh, so they're going to watch my two-year-old while I take my four-year-old daughter with me out to do a nice little four-wheeler ride with some binos, go to some of my good spots for sheds if I can get there and look for a few sheds. So I take her, I'm going to my number one spot and I've picked up some really nice sheds in there and we're only a five miles back in off the road, off the river valley. And we get to where the four-wheeler can't go anymore. It's too deep of snow. We get out and I, you know, post hole my daughter on my back oh about a quarter mile and get to a nice little glassy knob so we're a quarter mile from the uh, four-wheeler with a big snow patch between us and there's a patch of elk above us and I got my spotter out and I'm just seeing if there's any bulls in this group if it is a group of bulls that they've dropped and I noticed this group just all of a sudden herds up really quick and I'm like that's interesting and my daughter's sitting down eating a snack and at the time, I, when we left the house, I almost brought our dog, our little golden doodle, Ruby. She, she always goes with me. Always. Always. Because she loves run, running behind the four-wheeler. Picking she, up sheds. And... Didn't take her for whatever reason. I just didn't want to bring her to. And then I brought my gun, but I left it in my truck. I, I was like, man, I don't really need a gun. I'm not wolf hunting. Wolf hunting season closed uh, a couple of weeks ago. I don't need a gun. I didn't bring my handgun. I should have. I see these, these 13, 14 elk group up above us, and I'm like, that's interesting. And I look across the road, and here is a wolf running the road below. And the road that this wolf's running just happens to be the road we're on. Yep. And I film it, and then the road kind of wrapped around out of sight. And I told my daughter, I'm like, Avery, 
that's a wolf and he, he's on he's going to end up coming right to us because we were on a corner he's going to end up coming right around the corner and we'll see him and my daughter doesn't know much about a wolf or whatever she doesn't know my disdain for him and so five minutes goes by and, and here comes this wolf and he's cruising and he is on a path to literally in our laps he comes around the corner at about 80 yards he gets to about 50 yards, and I'm filming, and then I stand up, and then he gets to about 35, 40 yards, and he's rounding the corner, and he's going to be coming right at my daughter and I, and I stand up, and I'm like, hey, wolf, get out of here, and the wolf startled, turns, runs 180 about, oh, 50 yards, and stops and stares. He actually barked a few times. I don't know if that audio got picked up, and then he just stares at me, and I'm like, I'm pretty sure he was assessing the situation see if there was an opportunity there. So I'm yelling, acting as big and tough, as mean as possible. And then he basically decides to walk away and he walks off and then stops at the corner and stares again. And I just did not like that feeling. I could have shot him with a Glock. I could have shot him with my 6.5. Could have had a wolf. And you know what? We were on private timber. I could have shot him legally. And that's my bad as a hunter. I already have a 2019 hunting license. I've already killed a cougar in 2019, so learn from my mistake. Had I had a rifle, my daughter would have witnessed a, a fluffy dog get shot. And wolves are dogs. They probably lift their leg to piss every time. They probably roll and shit. They probably wrestle and play and fight. They're just like your dog, except for they, got, they can kill like nobody's business. But they're a dog. And I could have killed that dog that day and saved a lot of elk. That was an alpha male. And this video will post. I'll put it out there and let people see what I experienced. But the first thing I said in the video was like, man, these wolves are over objective. I shouldn't be seeing wolves in broad daylight, middle of the day, five miles from a highway. You know what I'm saying? On a flat logging road. No. They're like, you should maybe hear wolves howling and be like, oh, that was really cool. But you shouldn't be seeing like how many wolves have I seen with my own two eyes? 30 plus how many wolves have i heard with my two ears and not seen 500 you know so if you want to see wolves go to yellowstone if you want to see elk don't go to yellowstone anymore because that's not where you're going to find them and now we're seeing so many so the wolf densities are so high here so that's the story we got back on our four wheelers went straight back to where i saw that wolf and wouldn't you know we split up did some howling and i got that wolf to pop out of the timber at 800 yards i ended up finding him again and I couldn't get him to come any closer and saw him twice in one day. He's a giant. That just reinforces Rod Staten's rule for uh, being in, you know, the National Forest or being out uh, doing hunting activities, berry picking, uh, whatever it is. You know, just, just riding your four-wheeler or just hiking with your family. Always pack a firearm. Always. Specifically a rifle. Now. A rifle is the best, but I just think you always need to have a firearm. And here's why I say that. So I've sat through 20 years of all of the wolf propaganda that is inseminated from organizations like National Geographic. Defenders of Wildlife. Defenders of the Wildlife, the Humane Society, all of this babbling nonsense. Sierra Nevada Club or whatever. So I have... uh, First-hand witnessed uh, wolves and what game and prey they choose to kill. It has nothing to do with weak. It has nothing to do with diseased. It has nothing to do with older, young. Uh, Whoever the, suggested that? The National Geographic Society <laughs> and the specific scientist that had a hand in introducing the wolves back into Yellowstone, who's done that 30-year study now, He's actually taking a lot of heat now because everyone's called him out. That's a that's because a false there's theory. been so many evidence of packs of wolves going into a drainage where they get elk in such deep snow, and they just go on a killing rampage. And that's what they're designed to do. It doesn't mean that they're uh, evil creatures. It has nothing to do with that. They just do what they do. They do what they do, it, which is they kill. They kill to ensure their own survival. So. Having said that, the number one change that is coming into my personal hunting life due to uh, the explosion of the wolf population 
uh, in North Idaho. And by the way, coming to Eastern Washington, coming to Seattle, coming to the Cascades, soon to be near you, is it's changing the way we all have to approach hunting. And let me give you a great example. Uh, we listened to your podcast. With Travis Schneider. Travis Schneider. Of very Stuck in the impressive rut. young man. Yeah, he's legit. Who has made these really incredible hunting videos of hunting elk. And Corey Jacobson, another one, just had a wolf right by his house the other day after you'd spent days out in the woods hunting wolves. What's going to change is that this fall, you know, usually I'll hunt three or four days with you. You go a lot of days solo, and then maybe I'll take a grandson or a friend or something and go off and hunt. From now on, it's going to be one guy's poke, packing a bow, another guy's packing a rifle. When we hear the wolves howl, the bow gets put away, the rifle comes out, the hunt changes from an elk hunt to a wolf hunt. It's my responsibility to keep the wolf numbers down as a hunter. I have to begin to take it serious. And I went into Idaho Game and Fish one day, for example, and I just said, I want to let you, I didn't swear at him because it was a nice female game warden, but I said, I just want to let you know how the wolves are overrunning, blah, 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 blah. She looked at me and she said, go kill them. You got five tags. Yeah. I don't want to hear it. And you can trap five more on top yes. of your, there's 10. Yes. And it's but, year-round on private property, and there's a lot of private timber property you can hunt. But until I heard the podcast with Travis, it never really occurred to me, like, how many times have I gone into a drainage on my dirt bike or hiked and hiked and hiked and got back there, and the wolves go off, and what do we do? Four or five times a season times 15 seasons. I mean, we've been hunting here since 2001. Yeah. It's 2019, so there's 18 years, and we've yep. seen it go from an old timer saying, "Man, I think I might have heard my first pack of wolves back then." Yep. To how many wolves are we going to encounter this season? Yep. Uh, so, I think so, what you said, like yesterday, should have been a shed hunt that got interrupted, and we stopped, and, and I was prepared a with a my bang stick, yep. and I could have taken out an alpha male. Yep. Uh, Bear hunting this year, I'm going to have to lug around. It's an inconvenient, but Huge I'm going to have to lug around a rifle, Yep. which I'm a terrible shot with, and I'm going to see – I am guarantee I'm going to see wolves this spring bear hunting, and I'm going to stop, and I'm going to quit bear hunting, and I'm going to go right into wolf hunting. And the guys that I'm taking out this year that are coming over, they're going to be instructed that we're bear hunting, but it will stop immediately The as soon as we hear a wolf howl or see one. We have a new assignment, and that means the Fox Pro's got to go with us. Yeah. Everywhere we go. Yeah. So we're now we're inconvenienced, but it's up to us. It's up to us to help the ungulate population. So, you know, we, we know enough people, and, you know, let's face it, we're inundated with propaganda. I don't care what it is, whether it's politics, religion, science, whatever. There's propaganda involved in all of it. So the wolves have been here long enough now that practically we've heard every story from our fellow hunters. Uh, case in point, uh, right at the end of a road, right down here, 10 miles at the very end, first day of rifle season three years ago, a gentleman that we know uh, called in a five-point bull elk and was on a rock looking downhill 120 yards getting ready to shoot the bull, and here comes five wolves in and start attacking the five-point bull. Nothing wrong with that bull. That bull wasn't weak. That bull wasn't sick. And I think that was like the second or third year where you could legally shoot a wolf, you know, in this area. Yeah. And he decided to shoot the alpha male, and the five-point got away. He gave up 500 pounds of meat... Well, 300 pounds of meat. But 300 I pounds yeah. of meat to shoot an alpha male. Mm -hmm. And I just think that's where we as hunters and gatherers have to, you know, just change the way we do things. And I'm kind of looking forward to it because I'll tell you, you know, the ungulates, when you and I, we live up here and we watch the weather 
that those animals have to survive just to live. It's incredible. And I can't even tell you what an advantage I would have if I was a predator that had four legs, could run 10 miles without stopping, and all I have to do is pick off ungulates that are oh. weakened by the weather. So yesterday, after that wolf took off, I picked my daughter up, and I just kind of wanted to figure out the exact yardage, how close that wolf got till I stood up and yelled at him. It was just under 40 yards. And we, I took Avery over to that, and it's a pretty deep patch of snow. Dude, I was post-holing the whole way there, sinking up to my hip. Yeah. Took a picture of his track. He didn't even sink. He was on top. Yeah. So every elk's going to sink in there. He stays on top. And uh, I think we all know that. Okay, so let's recap this conversation. Predators. you got to become a predator. If you are wanting to come out west and elk hunt, if you don't even live near Idaho, this season up where we're at, we're in the panhandle. There's nine units. A lot of it is private, quote, private timber ground that's access yes you can hunt it the wolf season that means the wolf season is year round up here you got to buy your hunting license for 150 bucks ish and then you can buy up to five wolf tags for 30 bucks a piece you can use electronic calls right now at the time of this recording if you're looking for a cheap adventure come fly into spokane come fly into boise come fly into missoula and come over to idaho and kill yourself a wolf. I mean, this is the place to do it. We have the most wolves, period. And we, we don't even know how many wolves we have. They're all estimates. And I don't know how you estimate <laughs> when half the country's covered in timber. Yeah. You know? I, I don't either. And, uh, you know, that whole... Uh, uh, now, I will say this. Uh, in, in fairness to the science of game management, you will not find very many hunters that will look you in the eye and say... We want to exterminate the wolves. I just don't think there's that many that feel that way. There might be some old timers that remember, you know, back in the day when you were losing cattle and sheep and so forth to predators. But really, honestly, the North American model only works if human beings uh, exercise their right to control predators. And it takes a lot of energy and a lot of time. And let's be honest, you can't eat a wolf, you know. And But I think when people see the video that you posted yesterday, it's a magnificent animal. And it has a beautiful hide. And you can, you know. It's a dog. You, you, but yeah. can, you can have a, <laughs> you can have a hunt of a lifetime and yeah. score yourself one of those predators. And I think it would be one of the best memories of your life. You know what I mean? Well, if anyone's listening and wants me to put you on some wolves, message me. I will get you lined out um, in some great areas to come do some wolf hunting. And it's practically year-round. So I think a great time would be February, March, April. I feel like those are really solid times for you to get a wolf. Like the wolf's. Yesterday, if I'd killed that wolf, that would have been a really expensive taxidermy bill because he had his full-on winter coat, yep. and he looked good. He looked really good, and wolves sound so cool when they howl and stuff, but they also bark. They also lift their leg to piss. They also probably roll in shit and eat each other's puke like they're a dog. They're dogs. They're dogs. Um, they breed, and they are good at breeding, Yes. and they can come into heat. So they're, I didn't want to turn this into a wolf cast but that's what happened because yesterday my four-year-old daughter was with me and i didn't have a gun so father of the year award doesn't go to me but uh i will promise for redemption anything else you want to add to this podcast uh another thing too just on a safety note for those guys that are going out in this spring weather and you're going to go steep and deep spot and stock for black bears uh i like to hunt them with a rifle these days i used to hunt them a lot with a bow over bait i love that too don't misunderstand me because you get to see the antics of bears up close and personal. But always, always, always pack survival gear, pack stuff, plan to spend the night in the woods. Also, just a note, these spring storms that you get up here. I mean, I got caught in one last year. So did you. Uh, a friend of yours was out with you. He got stuck in it, too. I mean, if you're... If, if you're stuck in that storm and you don't have fire starter, you don't have protective clothing, you don't have ways of getting warm, you're not coming home.
So be safe, be smart, you know, take, take an extra minute to uh, really think about what you're getting yourself into. But most importantly, get out there and enjoy it. It's really super fun to do spring bear hunting. There's nothing more fun. Yep. I think in those guys that are hunting Montana, they don't allow baiting. They have more grizzlies. Know the difference between a grizz and a black bear. Wyoming still has baiting, which is awesome. Idaho still has baiting, which is awesome. Washington State has a spring draw only. It's very expensive to put in if you're non-resident, and they don't hand out that many tags. However, Washington does have a really good berry bear season. So August 1st or August 15th are some great openers along the Cascades. High-density bear population. If you're looking for something to do before elk season, that's a good place to start. Oregon has the cheapest non-resident bear tags. They charge the same price. I think it's like 15 bucks for a non-resident. Yep. The uh, the west side of Oregon's draw, I think, so you're not going to probably get one. But it is, I think, over-the-counter, I think. On the east side, there's lots of bears there along the snake. Uh, I don't know about Colorado. I doubt they have a bear season in the spring. Uh, but most of the states up here, Montana and Idaho is going to be your best bet. So check it out. Do your homework. I'm always happy to help with any questions. And I'm looking forward to getting out here in a couple uh, couple of days and getting after bears. Yeah, it's a great sport. And I would just encourage people to get out there and do it. I know uh, we've introduced a lot of people to bear hunting who, uh, well, let's just be honest. They're addicted now. They love it. And it's, it, they're smart animals and they're, they're fun to pursue. All right, guys, thanks for listening. We'll catch you on the next one.